Hello, Marvelites. You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale October 5th, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, aka Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Woo, uh, Jasmine, I know you aren't here for it, but for everyone else celebrating, happy New York Comic Con week. We've got Woo. a lot going on. Um, I know I will be at the convention for the entirety of of it. Uh, I'm actually going to be there starting on Wednesday, the 5th, doing some rehearsals. And I have a This Week in Marvel Captain America panel on Thursday, the 6th. I have another panel on Friday. I'll be at the stage. I'll be on the live stream all over the place. If you are going to be at New York Comic Con, please come by and say hi. And if you're going to watch the live stream, please say hi in the chat and someone will tell me that you said hi. It's usually how it goes. Okay, but like, I know you want to say hi to everybody, but since I'm not going to be there, you know I'm sending you my laundry list of things you need to go get me. Um, there's lots of covers I need, um, a couple missing issues uh, that I need you to grab. I think that David Nakayama is going to be at one of the, the booths. Um, I need you to pick up at least four of those Hellfire Gala cover uh, variants for me. Also toys. So I don't know how much time you're going to have to go and, and talk to all our friends. I mean, it, you can maybe wave. But I need you to go get this stuff for me because I'm not going to be there. It's good to need and want things in this life, Jasmine. I appreciate but those like, feelings. When I need things, I, I need them, Ryan. Like I will try to stop by him and Artist Alley. Um, previous guest in front of the show, Alex Segura, has a booth in Artist Alley. I know usually we get to see a bunch of um, international artist friends um, mm-hmm. at the, down in Artist Alley. So I'm looking forward to catching up with people, even if it's just like, hi, bye which is usually how I have to run through the aisles. Suffice to say, New York Comic Con is coming up. I know there will be comic book related news, information, maybe some reveals. So um, stay tuned to Marvel.com and we'll, you know, obviously be talking about those books and those things in the coming, gosh, weeks and months of stuff that is talked about. It's going to be fun. Oh, there's so many new books coming out. And like I just looked at our list of like new releases. It's going to be a busy couple of months. I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about Marvel comics. And we are going to run you through all the brand new issues out this week. Give you our picks of the week. Those that we personally feel most strongly for. And we want you to go out and buy. We'll give out awards to all the new comics. We'll tell you what collections are on sale. What Infinity Comics, those scrolling vertical comics available only on Marvel Unlimited. Which ones of those will hit MU this week? What else is hitting Marvel Unlimited? Even some Marvel UK titles. Ooh, we'll talk about that Ooh. in a bit. Uh, and after all that, we have a reading club. Who are we talking to and what are we talking about? We are talking to Danny Lore about Doctor Strange versus Dracula, the Montessi formula. Um, very excited for this. Uh, it's the beginning of our spooky month, Ryan. Oh my gosh, I forgot. Yeah. We did it. We did it. We made it all. This is what we've been waiting for. This is what we've been building up for the entire year. It's pretty fun. Just great to talk to Danny. They're they're terrific. I love I'm excited Danny. for um, Danny constantly doing more work for us. But before we get there, we got to talk about them new comics. I'm going to kick things off with my first pick of the week. My first pick is Axe Star Fox. This is a big tie-in for our giant crossover, which is rounding... Uh, getting very close to the finish line, uh, Axe, Star Fox, Avengers, X-Men, Eternals, colon, Star Fox. It's written by Kieran Gillen, art by Daniele Di Nicuolo, colors by Frank William, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. So Star Fox, 
that's uh, that's the big boy here. Star Fox resurrected recently in the main Avengers X-Men Eternals Judgment Day storyline. This Star Fox also may be known as Eros, one of the uh, Eternals from Titan, brother to Thanos. Uh, if you are a fan of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you got a little cameo of Eros recently in the last year or so. Um, so maybe we'll see some more. But Starbox has been off the board for a while. He's a former Avenger. He's been all over the place, cosmic-y sort of dude. I've, I'll be honest, I've never been a huge fan of Star Fox. I find him kind of creepy, and I think that's kind of the point. So Star Fox coming back, resurrected with a new purpose, with a new vibe, with a new sort of like agenda. Um, he's also the prime Eternal, so he's leading the Eternals. So he's got some interesting responsibilities on his plate. But Star Fox's powers are those of persuasion, which is kind of why I always found him creepy. It's like, he's like, a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Not not super fun, but it, I think Kieran is the antithesis of creepy. Kieran is so thoughtful and so um, conscious of characters that would act like that. And then you can take a character with those kinds of powers, with that kind of history, and put them in a place where they're they're very much aware of who they are and trying to do things a little bit differently. So you've got Star Fox using those powers of persuasion to try to help people here, um, to get involved with things. I love Daniela's art. The way Star Fox is drawn is a little androgynous. It's with this big, broad smile, which is a little, um, it's a little sexy, a little knowing, a little naughty, but at times also extremely warm and caring. There's this one moment in which there's a person who's crushed under rubble and Star Fox is, has been trying to help people. The caption says the people dying with no hope are the only heroes here. Star Fox pulling rubble off of this guy and he's saying, Oh God, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And Star Fox just says, is thinking he is, we are, what can one say to make it better? You likely nothing me. And then he says, my friend, I'm sorry. It was a beautiful world and it was good to live here at least for a while. It was good to meet you. And then the man dies with a smile on his face. He says, thank you. Tear down his eye. It's like mm -hmm. to give that level of comfort. And that is a different kind of Star Fox than I feel like we've ever gotten yeah. before. And it really, really connected with me. Next up, I'm really excited about this one. It's my pick of the week. Miracle Man number zero. Ryan, I've been telling you for the past couple of weeks that I've literally been on a Miracle Man binge, starting with the old Marvel Man classic uh, collected editions that we've released. I've read the first three books by the original creator. I've read Neil Gaiman's book, and I'm so psyched for Miracle Man. And this issue really, really started to scratch that issue because for me, this is the first time I think that I'm getting new Miracle Man within my lifetime, which is pretty wild. I mean, it was this still, is awesome. It was, it was it was highly regarded when it came out, but it wasn't from yeah. a major publisher. It wasn't a book that was no. on many people's radars. If you were just reading Marvel or DC comics, it's it, right. It built up a reputation and a following in and a legend over the years. So I don't imagine many of our listeners uh, got to read it when they when it was originally coming out. Yeah, and we can do an entire podcast. Trust me on the history of Miracle Man, but. 
if you really want to get to know more about that, like I highly recommend reading all the uh, older stuff. We have collected editions available um, at your local comic shop, but also like there is, like you said, a lot of legend behind this. So being able to just be excited for a new Miracle Man and being a part of this mythos and legend is just so exciting and fun. And this particular issue is a celebration of the 40 years of Miracle Man. It's issue number zero. So it's right before we relaunch the uh, Silver Age books by Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham. Um, and it's a collection of a couple of short stories by a bunch of different creators, including Ryan Stegman, Ty Templeton, Mike Carey, Peach Momoko, um, Jason Aaron, Laniel Francis Hughes, so many different creatives. But the thing I like about it is it's stylized in the way of some of the previous short stories that have been collected throughout the years in the Apocrypha style, where the creator would essentially write the intro and the outro stories uh, to this collection of short stories that are told uh, within the world of Miracle Man. So we actually get our Miracle Man in his library reading all of these short stories that are told by creators within the Miracle Man story with their take on Miracle Man. So the result is a wide variety of different types of Miracle Man stories. And what it does is it shows like what the average people of this world think of Miracle Man and how they, you know, have perceived him. And it's really a cool reflection on like how we write our stories today. Yeah, there there's a history to to this type of thing. The original Miracle Man Apocrypha there were three issues released, sort of companion pieces to the Golden Age storyline by Neil and Mark, um, and they were they were just they were exactly the same thing an anthology of kind of stories about and around Miracle Man or in the universe or you know different characters. So um, yeah, it it was super cool to see how they took elements from that original, brought in some of our current creators to tell new stories. Like Laniel Francis used art. In his story with Jason Aaron oh. was beautiful, and I didn't realize it was Laniel until me neither. The credits, I was like, "Wow, it was it was really gorgeous." He reminded me a little bit of Barry Windsor Smith in places, yeah, in, in a in just in the best possible way. It was great. It's it's a celebration at its at its fullest, um, and you can tell that these creators really really love not only this character and the stories, but the mythos and legend behind it. It's become its own urban legend. Um, and it's just, I'm so excited to, to finally get this book in my hands. All right. From Miracle Man, we're going to Spider-Man. We have a brand new adjectiveless Spider-Man series launching right now. And I believe it's also with the legacy numbering, it is issue 157 of adjectiveless, which originally started uh, by Todd McFarlane. And look at how far we've come all these years later, 31 years. That sounds right. Yeah. But this one is a big honking deal, and it is brought to us by writer, Dan Slott, penciler, Mark Bagley, inker, John Dell, colorist, Edgar Delgado, and letterer, Joe Caramagna. Great team. Um, Dan and Mark, I think, have worked together on like a short story before, but that's about it. Mm -hmm. We previously had Mark Bagley here on the podcast talking about uh, his whole career, but a little bit, of course, about Spider-Man. He's definitely the on the Mount Rushmore for Spider-Man artists, you know? Oh, yeah. Easily. He is probably my go-to Spider-Man artist if I had to think of one. But, you know, you also have John Romita Jr. and John Romita Sr., Steve Ditko, Todd McFarlane for many, Eric Larson, Umberto Ramos, Giuseppe Camoncoli. Like, there's a lot of really incredible oh. Spider-Man artists, but Mark is without question 
right at the top there, yeah, no matter who you are. So having him back doing a big Spider-Man launch is great. And then you bring in Dan Slott, who's written, I think, more issues of Amazing Spider-Man than anyone else. Yes. Is that th- yep. Yes. Uh, which is great. I I know he's your go-to Spider-Man writer. Oh, yeah. He's my Spider-Man writer. And he's definitely up there for me. Um, it's, so you're, you're getting the best of the best with a big storyline, which is the end of Spider-Verse. And we are here to uh, go out in style. One of the things that I noticed about this book is it is full of double page spreads, like mm-hmm. more than I'm used to in a Mark Bagley book. And I loved it. I was really excited. There are like four or five in here that really... Yeah elevate the the widescreen big action huge scope of this storyline um you've got spider-man in his current sort of arc where he is working for and with norman osborne a uh reformed norman working for oscorp he's got a cool new suit he's got um some things going on he's working that out and then boom 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 we i i will spoil one thing if you don't want this little thing spoiled for you then fast forward a little bit Moreland shows up in this issue, which is a that great, me up. It, it was, it's a great way to connect it to the other Spider-Verse storylines. And this really just terrific full page splash of Moreland. And he shows up, this flash of light behind him, smoke and, and, and steam like billowing under his feet, uh, this web design behind him. And it just says, hello, Parker. It rules. It's one of those moments you're like, this is happening. Yeah. Also, like, I think the thing that, like, really, that I found just very fascinating or just, like, unbelievable was when that happens, Spider-Man freaks out. Like, yeah. he's like, oh, sh- like, oh, oh, crap. I got to do something. I-, I can't even, like, think. I have to act. And he, and, like, Dan and and Mark both capture that same energy mm-hmm. from the very first encounter for Moreland. Like if you haven't read it, I highly recommend reading Spider-Man Coming Home. We did Reading Club with Alex Segura and it's the exact same vibe. And I I was like, wow, they they nailed it. Like I had the exact same reaction where I was like, Spider-Man, no, like you can't just sit there. Like beat him up already. <laughs> One thing we should also note is that there is also the final issue of Edge of Spider-Verse this week that we will talk about a little bit more. We both kind of wanted to pick that, but we kept it with our main picks, but we will give it a little extra love in just a few minutes. Yes. Uh, but before we start talking about the rest of our fabulous fresh floppies, uh, we have to talk about last week's award. Last week's award name was the Can a Hammer Fire a Gun Award, and that came from Thor number 27, um, and we do have a winner. Steve Agnew was the first. Um, he responded saying, can't touch this, which is very appropriate. Steve, Ryan will be in touch with you shortly. Heck yeah. Uh, and of course, we always have a bunch of great messages from our community. Some honorable mentions and shout outs include, uh, we wanted to give a thanks for the great email to Joe Hoffman. Um, please let us know what you think of Exterminators. Now that you're going to read all the Exterminators, all five issues Four? that are available five. now between the new series yeah. and the original. Uh, yeah. We got an email from Michael Eisenstein who said, really have been enjoying the conversations and suggestions these past weeks. Leah Williams is such a favorite of mine with her X factor trial of Magneto and now X terminators. 
The Reading Club observations around WizKid resonated with me too. It was especially interesting because I was reading Sword by Al Ewing at the same time I was going through a read of Inferno, so to see the character then and now at the same moment was one of the great joys of comic reading. Um, Michael, there is a WizKid sequence yes. this week in, we'll talk about it a little bit, uh, X-Men Red, and then there's a character who's in the scene with WizKid, and I was like, fist pump city. For what happened yeah. there. Highly recommend you pick that up for more WizKid. Yeah, 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 yeah. We also got an email from Corbin Parker who said, The kiddos and I loved hearing y'all mention our last email. Totally made a crap day turnaround. Moving on, we have some uh, very important news over in our United States of Polist uh, corner. We have a letter from Brad Sheff. He says, hello, Ryan and Jasmine. I wanted to reach out and echo the sentiment of many listeners that the weekly award names add a layer of enjoyment to my reading. I am behind on both my readings and the podcast, but it's still fun to find the quotes when I get them, like hearing the title of a movie in the movie itself. My LCS is fun for, with the, that's the number four, fun for all comics and games in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Sorry if I butchered that, Brad, let me know. But... He says, not sure if you have Michigan on your map yet. We do not. So this is a new entry. I'm so excited. I'm filling it in right now. What color should we make it? Um, let's make it like a light blue, like the color Ooh. of the Detroit Lions, which is the only thing I could think about for Michigan at the moment. Oh, I was thinking Michigan State and going dark blue. It's going to be blue regardless. Well, I'm going to figure it out. Great. Sounds terrific. Thank you for the email, Brad. And we also got an email from Miguel Santos, who says, Hey guys, currently loving Judgment Day for your international map. My LCS is Mundo Fantasma, Ghost World, in Porto, Portugal. Uh, they've been open for 30 years and doing amazing work with us customers and our polis. They're so nice, and we can spend hours in the shop talking about comics. I wish I had an international map just to fill that one in, but... I do have my, my cousin just got married this past weekend and he is spending his honeymoon in Portugal with Porto being his last stop. So I'm going to somehow force him to make a stop there for me. At least take a selfie there. Yeah. So thank you all for your notes, your emails, your messages to us. We appreciate them. Let's get on to the award for this week. What do we got, Jasmine? The award name this week is Blessed Be Arthur. My prayers have been answered. Um, yes. So this one, I wanted to note it's from a caption, not a dialogue word balloon, but it's a caption. You'll find it when you read your books. Um, of course, this is said by someone who knows that B. Arthur is one of one of the greatest people ever. Patron saint. Yeah, I know. In a reference that went completely over my head until I had to look it up. Golden Girls. I mean, yes. On top of that, <laughs> look, Golden Girls, one of the greatest TV shows ever. 180 yeah. episodes. If you have never watched Golden Girls, it stands the test of time. If you've never seen Maud, go check out Maud. She's hilarious in everything she did. She was in the, um, the Star Wars holiday special in the 70s. Was she really? Yes. You need... Please, please. I've never actually seen the Star Wars holiday special. You need you need to sort of learn about B. Learn about B. Arthur. I need to culture myself. Have you never noticed that uh, all the B. Arthur jokes that Deadpool has had over the years? No. If you or any of our <laughs> listeners are not familiar with B. Arthur, please go watch Golden Girls. Go do some deep diving on her life, her career, her causes. She truly is like she was uh, a gem. 
So if you find Blessed Be Arthur, my prayers have been answered while you're reading your books this week. Find this quote, screen cap it, and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pulllist at marvel.com. If you're among the first, keep your emails open, your DMs ready. I may send you something fun. Awesome. And that award again is the Blessed Be Arthur. My prayers have been answered and we'll be giving it out to all the fabulous fresh floppies this week. Yeah, starting with... Axe X-Men number one. This one is a Jean Grey special Um, in here. You've just there's a lot of like little great moments. We actually almost pulled a couple quotes uh, from here. So Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that the line isn't here, but like we had like two or three, four different potentials for this. But this issue sees Jean Grey judged. And I will... It's it's a it's a hearty thing, but I will give my blessed be Arthur. My prayers have been answered award to Logan, who is just he's just he loves Jean Grey so much. He's in this issue, like yelling and screaming at everybody. He's protecting her. He's just like, I love her so much. Such a sweetie. Such a sweetie. Such a sweetie. All right. Next up, we have Ant-Man number four. And this is the final issue of the four issue miniseries by Al Ewing and Tom Riley. And in this issue, we finally get this mystery unveiled. We we get to meet the new Ant-Man who has been time displacing all these other Ant-Mans for some reason. We get to learn what that is. And it's a doozy. The, The fun thing I like about this book is it, you know, you can easily pick this issue up by itself. And it's a complete story. It fills you in on everything you need to know, including a bunch of history from Al Ewing's previous work. Um, over on Avengers Ultron Forever, uh, which is an amazing story on its own. But this does a really good job at deep diving. It gives you a what it's called a Marvel MRVLTM deep background info dump TM by one of the machines that is owned by the new Ant-Man. And I'm going to give my Blessed Be Arthur, my prayers have been answered award to the new technology that is used by this Ant-Man. Like we've seen multiple different, you know, Ant-Man and Giant-Man and I think the thing that he does here with his version of ants is very fascinating, um, very creative and a cool addition to the like legacy of Ant-Man. All right, we've got Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number five, very much nearly one of my picks of the week. It is a huge issue. I'm going to put that out there. This is a big freaking deal issue in terms of the future of Captain America stuff. We will be talking about this at our This Week in Marvel special panel at New York Comic Con. It's all about Captain America and Cold War, the big Cap crossover event coming next year. Um, So you've got this with Steve and Bucky and their new ally, Redacted. They go take the fight to uh, the big bads in here. We get big revelations on those characters. You get um, wonderful moments. I have two Blessed Be Arthur My Prayers Have Been Answered awards. One to Carmen Carnero for every friggin' panel and, and line she draws. Holy moly. Particularly the luscious hair she draws on Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes. There's this one panel of Steve and he's like smiling and his hair is like swooping in front of him. It's just like pure Captain America joy. And then Bucky's hair is long and like a little greasy and and just looks terrific. But truly the other award goes to the last two pages of this issue, which I will not spoil, which I hope you do not get spoiled upon, except if we're talking about it in my panel at New York Comic Con. But yeah, so read it before then. Yeah, read it as soon as possible. Huge one. Big stuff coming. Yeah. 
Next book is Edge of Spider-Verse number five. And I know we were just talking about the variant covers and there's two I want to give my award to right off the bat because Chris Anka can never go wrong uh, with his spider designs. He did an amazing job with Night Spider and uh, our spider princess, Spintress. And in this one, we get introduced to a new spider called Web Weaver, who is easily one of my new favorites, easily one of the best Edge of Spider-Verse spinoffs that we've had in a long time. Each one has been a joy, but I'm going to give my main Blessed Be Arthur, My Prayers Have Been Answered award to Steve Fox and Kaizama for giving us Web Weaver because he is easily one of the best spiders that we've seen come out of this book. And he's just so sassy and the origin story that's told here is very true to the original or it's a, it's a, it's an homage to Peter Parker's story, but also just like a very fresh and refreshing take on it. And I want a whole book out of this. Like I wish we could get more from this team for sure. All right. We've got Hulk number nine this week, which has got a lot of really cool stuff. We're starting a new arc up in here. I, I want to give my blessed be Arthur, my prayers have been answered award to the main two creators on this. Donnie Cates. Uh, there's a lot of like emotional beats. There's a thing going on with Bruce Banner and his history. That's some really interesting uh, character building stuff that's going on. You've got some really interesting stuff about how the spaceship Hulk operates, which I really, really dug the the mechanics of mm -hmm. that. And then to Ryan Otley, who just draws the hell out of everything. But I love it when he draws monsters and big things and big like cityscapes and, and creations. And there's this like giant, massive thousand foot tall futuristic kind of building on a, an abandoned planet. And it looks wild. And then he's got these creatures with their eyes bugging in different directions it looks great. It looks so, so cool. You can tell that Ryan's having a blast working on this book. All right. Next up, we have Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor number five. And this is the final issue of this miniseries by Torin Grumbeck. And in this issue, we get the final face off between Thor, the Mighty Thor slash Jane Foster Valkyrie and Valkyrie Runa um, against war which was an awesome addition to the story at the end. Um, and it's a huge fight with all your favorite Asgardians in this. But the thing that I'm going to give my Blessed Be Arthur, my prayers have been answered award to is this tag team moment between the two Thors, between Jane Foster and Thor Odinson, where Jane Foster uses her all weapon. I don't want to give too much away because it is a spoiler, but the way that they tag team this final blow is so well done the art is phenomenal the twist is great like i i need more tor and thor books because it's so good i love when she writes thor agreed 100 percent. all right we've got marauders number seven out this week uh i'm gonna give my blessed be arthur my prayers have been answered award to this book continuing to mine the Grant Morrison era of new X-Men in really fun and inventive ways and writer Steve Orlando coming up with cool stuff. And like, there's a revelation sort of towards the end where I'm like, you son of a gun. I wasn't, I didn't see that part coming, but I'm into it. Can't wait to see where this goes. Uh, great moments in here for tempo and the art style is super fun and kind of manga e big revelations for some uh newly rediscovered characters a whole bunch of stuff going on in marauders right now next up we have the final issue of new fantastic four uh, it's issue number five and it's the final one in this mini series as well um by D peter david and 
I'm going to give my Blessed Be Arthur my prayers have been answered award to this moment between Ghost Rider and Mr. Fantastic in the rest of the Fantastic Four, where the Fantastic Four are in their like Fantastic Car. They're all like shooting off to the final fight to beat this giant demon up. And meanwhile, Ghost Rider just kind of like swoops in next to them and Mr. Fantastic turns his head because they're flying and he's just in the air. And Mr. Fantastic is like, Ghost Rider, I didn't know you could ride on air. And Ghost Rider's pretty much just like, that's your biggest concern? Like, all things are possible right now. I'm I'm just trying to, like, get there. It's, it's just really a, a real moment where it's like, really? You, you care about that more than, like, the fact that we're about to beat up this giant demon? So good. Yeah. On to Savage Avengers number six. We've got the Savage Avengers team in a 2099 reality dealing with all that includes uh in this one in particular it is punisher 2099 jake gallows i want to give my blessed b arthur my prayers have been answered award to the like action figure toy um vibes of the uh the savage avengers when they find a storehouse of old weapons under event like an avengers headquarters and you get like one character wearing archangel wings Best weapons possible. One character with Absorbing Man's, you know, Mystic Wrecking Ball, um, all kinds of stuff like that. It's that was a hoot. It was so funny. All right. Turning over to Star Wars, we have Star Wars The Mandalorian number four. This issue is an adaptation of the episode of The Mandalorian that gives us the glorious, easily the most used gif in my arsenal. Baby Yoda, a.k.a. Grogu, sipping on that little like cup of tea in the middle of all the drama. Just like, what's going on over here? Like, I think I use that gif so much. And the way it's done in this book is so funny. It still has that same charm to it. Um, it's also the issue where we get Grogu eating that frog. And for that, I am giving <laughs> it my blessed be Arthur. My prayers have been answered award. Indeed. All right. Final new issue of the week is X-Men Red number seven. Let's be real. This is one of our picks of the week. Even if we're not officially saying it's one yes. of our picks of the week, we literally yes. said we cannot pick X-Men Red again. We have to give other books a chance to breathe. But hear us, listeners. X-Men Red number seven. You should be reading this book. It is yes. monumental. One of the greatest mutant characters ever created. One of Marvel's greatest characters ever. Easily. Has a moment in here. I will say that. And it is. It's. I, uh, it's like a baton pass that. I am so hyped for. I, I am hyped, so but hyped it, it's goes. one of those moments where you're like, you are brought down so low by grief and anguish mm -hmm. and, and like the loss and then brought up so high by the potential and the hope and what comes next. Yeah. All of that said, we've also got like the future of Araco and what that means. Some great moments for characters, but I will give my, I give my blessed be Arthur. My prayers have been answered award to our, just truly incredible creative team on this issue for this arc to writer Al Ewing and artist Stefano Caselli. I had to like double check. I was like, is this really Stefano consistently evolving the art style that they have? This issue was gorgeous, truly top to bottom. Um, and again, reminder that there's some WizKid stuff in here that at the end I was like, oh, hell yeah. So while we are in the midst of Axe Judgment Day with these characters, we are looking ahead to what comes afterwards. And the story there, it ain't slowing down. So excited to see where Ellen and the team take it. All right, but that's it for our fabulous fresh new floppies. Uh, but in the collected editions, uh, we have 
couple of different collections coming out. We have the first volume of Amazing Spider-Man by Zeb Wells and John Romita Jr., uh, World Without Love. Highly recommend picking that one up. But we also have the first volume of She-Hulk by Rainbow Rowell uh, called Jen Again, which I think is funny. These two are just a one-two punch of just like amazing books. And like if this is, these were both great starting points for anyone looking to get into comics. Um, so highly recommend those two. Yeah. And over on Marvel Unlimited, lots to talk about. Of course, we have some new Infinity comics in here. X-Men Unlimited 54, Avengers Unlimited 14, Spider-Verse Unlimited 18, which is a Miles issue. Love Unlimited, Millie the Spy, Who is Daredevil? It's Jeff. And we also wanted to point out that this week we have the release of Marvel's Voices Werewolf by Night Infinity comic, which is uh, pretty cool. It is about Jake Gomez, the current werewolf by night in Marvel Comics. It was written by Al Goingback and art by Allison Sampson and Triona Farrell. And the little bit of text about it is Jake Gomez, a.k.a. the werewolf by night, makes an ill-fated trip to the Canadian wilderness. Every true believer knows the kind of threats that lurk among those snowy pines. Uh, also on Marvel Love Unlimited it. this week, lots and lots of, like a lot of friggin' comics on Marvel Unlimited this week, including issue four of X-Men Red, the first issue of The Variants, which we've been highly uh, into by Gail Simone and Phil Noto. And then Iron Cat, number one, Woo. real good. And Iron Man Hellcat Annual, which is basically just a Hellcat story with a little bit of Iron Man, which is what we like to see. Yeah, Shh, don't tell anyone. <laughs> the other thing we saw is that there are two Marvel UK early 1990s series that I believe are being added to Marvel Unlimited. The Mistech Wars, which I dug a ton when I was reading them as a kid. I was fully engulfed in the Marvel UK boom. There was like this concerted effort to bring a bunch of Marvel UK titles and new launches, new series, new creators to the U.S., and I bought in hard, baby. It was great. Uh, <laughs> Mystic Wars was one of them. And Dark Guard, which is cool. It's written by Dan Abnett, um, which many, who's done a ton of great Marvel comics, including resurrecting Guardians of the Galaxy and more. But art by Carlos Pacheco in 1993. Whew. So good. Uh, go check those out on Marvel Unlimited. And uh, while you're there, maybe it's time to read some of our books for the Reading Club. What do we got? Yes, we are talking to Danny Lore about Doctor Strange versus Dracula. The Montessi formula, which covers issues 59 through 62 of Doctor Strange. It features a lot of heroes, actually. So it's not just Doctor Strange. We also get a little bit of uh, Monica Rambeau and Scarlet Witch, as well as Blade. So very excited to talk about this with Danny. Let's do that right now. Let the spoopy month commence as we welcome our guest, Danny Lore. Hiya, Danny. Hey, guys. How you guys doing? Terrific. We've got to talk about Doctor Strange, the Montessi formula. This is an arc from the uh, late 70s, early oh, wow. 80s Doctor Strange series issues 59 through 62. Although there's some bleed. And I will tell you that there's a little bit of bleed in the 58. And uh, even issue number 14, which... I don't know if, if y'all did, but I read 14 mm -hmm. just last night as a, on a whim because it's a Doctor <laughs> Strange versus Dracula battle mm -hmm. uh, that I had never read before. And it's it's the Tomb of Dracula Ooh. vibes because it's got Gene Colon art. And so it, it rocks. So good. 
We're talking about Doctor Strange versus Dracula, also known as the Montessi formula story arc in Doctor Strange. It's the Sorcerer Supreme against the Emperor of the Undead. It's written by Roger Stern with pencils by Dan Green and Steve Lealoha. We have inks by Terry Austin, Rick Magyar, Steve Lealoha, uh, colors by Bob Sharon, letters by Jim Novak, Janice Chang, and Joe Rosen. Inks by Terry Austin, Rig Magyar, Steve Lealoha, Colors by Bob Sharon, Letters by Jim Novak, Janice Chang, and Joe Rosen. It's edited by Alt Milgram and Carl Potts. And the story starts with a little bit of Doctor Strange 58 and 59, um, but it really takes flight around Doctor Strange number 60. After a mysterious encounter with a vampire turned private eye named Hannibal King, Doctor Strange learns that Dracula, yeah, that Dracula, has returned despite their previous encounter in Doctor Strange number 14. Highly recommend you read that one as well. Strange agrees to help Hannibal King take Dracula down once and for all, but Dracula has other plans. Since their last encounter, Dracula has strengthened his power by taking control of a cult known as the Darkholders. With them by his side, he hopes of placing the Earth under the spell of the one true Darkhold. While facing off against the Darkholders and summoning the Children of the Night, Doctor Strange and Hannibal King discover... Dracula's plan. It's then that Doctor Strange astral projects to Leona, New Jersey to find the last person who wielded the Darkhold, Wanda Maximoff, aka the Scarlet Witch. Wanda reveals that the Darkhold is securely stored in Avengers Mansion. Strange assumes Dracula must be planning some sort of assault and asks Wanda to help him by meeting him there. Once there, Doctor Strange teams up with the Scarlet Witch and Monica Rambeau, who happens to be Captain Marvel at this time, to stop Dracula's army of Darkholders and evil creepy critters. Though this proves only to be a diversion as Dracula manages to sneak into the mansion unnoticed through an underwater submarine tunnel via the East River. Yeah, it's really weird, but trust me. Despite this, our trio of heroes managed to stop Dracula from grabbing the Darkhold just in time as Doctor Strange frantically transports the Darkhold to the first place he can think of, Baron Mordo's castle in Transylvania. Good idea, Doctor Strange. Good idea. In the final issue, Doctor Strange teams up with Blade and travels to Transylvania in order to secure the Darkhold. Blade faces off against Dracula while Doctor Strange heads for the evil tome. And Dracula manages to escape and he finds Strange frozen alongside the Darkhold. Assuming that the power was too much for Strange, Dracula reaches for the Darkhold only to realize that it's a trap. With the help of Blade, Hannibal King, Wong, and Frank Drake, Doctor Strange uses the Montessi formula, a spell within the Darkhold, to undo the curse of vampirism, eliminating not only Dracula, but all the vampires in the world. Danny, I'll let you explain a little bit more about why you picked this particular arc. Uh, so, back when um, I got offered the chance to write a Blade one-shot in um, the Death of Doctor Strange arc, mm -hmm. which, of course, I was they were like, which, are you interested in writing Blade? And I'm like, yes, please. I mean, yeah, sure, totally. Would you like to write him with Dracula? You mean the most overdramatic thing that I could ever possibly write? Yes. yes, absolutely. We were really interested in figuring out a way to deal with both Blade's grief and kind of that legacy, right, of the uh, the Montessi formula in, in particular because the overarching plot involves basically magic that goes mm -hmm. no more vampires uh you're welcome for that i just need now someone to draw dr strange doing that but you know like it's really gnarly it's got some great blade it also has a lot of uh 
the older Blade side characters, you know, make make appearances, which I really, really love. And also when I do one shots in particular, I really enjoy challenging myself to find something that can be referential, but that you don't need to have read the old stuff in order to do it. When rereading this, like you, you kind of were looking for those moments that like worked still today. Um, I'm curious what those moments were for you and how, you know, you work them into this Blade one shot, which is an absolute favorite of mine. I love this book. Well, one, I am a sucker for the old Marvel horror tones and that plus Doctor Strange in general has this kind of epic emotionality and drama that I think when both, obviously when you're dealing with Dracula, who is such a showman you know, like just, just goth showman, but also when you're dealing with a character who is so internal with their emotions, like Blade, I think it's very, very interesting to work with. I think that the concept of strange and sacrifice in that arc really appealed to me, um, especially in the context of Death of Doctor Strange. And then also just Blade having a friend. Oh, <laughs> You know, because I think that... More so than even most of the Avengers, Blade and and Strange go back very far. And ironically, some of the only people that are still in his life from his past that go back that far are all, the rest of them are enemies. It's, it's, it's Dracula, right? And you have this kind of parallel, I think, between the destruction of vampires, which is done very incredibly epically. I, I just love all the use of like the the stressful strained magic in that arc but the parallel between the way that Jason Aaron and crew had just left Blade uh when he you know leaves from being a more active member of the Avengers to the to a sheriff you know where he basically Almost had his own version of Montesi formula, except he used a katana instead of magic. Like, to be frank. <laughs> um, that kind of link really drew me. I mean, Dracula fully gets caught up in Strange's shenanigans in mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of the storyline to the point where you can almost feel like Dracula's turned this way. And then that way is like he can't keep his head on straight because Strange is just making them sort of super confused about where they are, what they're doing. It's a lot of fun. The, the couple of things you talked about, Danny, that I, I just wanted to to like jump on before I forget them. The idea of like Blade and how he doesn't have this, this sort of extended group of friends because he's I always think of Blade as someone who's lived a very long time. Right. Um, in this issue, in this story, he mentions like he's they're sitting in their jet and they're like flying to Transylvania he's like, it's been 30 years since vampires killed my mom. And I was like, well, 30 years, but it's Marvel time. So what does that mean? And and sort of trying to put that together. I think of him, you know, on the list of characters in Marvel who lived a long time, you know, Wolverines and stuff like that. He feels like he's in that realm, but he doesn't have that support system. He doesn't have the family of, of an X-Men or something like this. He has these like scant few friends who sometimes just get killed or like and it's interesting because there there was a point early in his books where he did have that and like it's i actually really love dealing with the idea of unlike some of the longer lived characters even counting steve rogers right like that others however reluctantly or enthusiastically still surround themselves with family 
because they know they need it. Blade is still like, because he lost those support systems that he did have, right? Like from, what is it, Jamal forward, you know, like all, like the whole crew, right? Like over time, how many of them became vampires? How many of them fell, right? That he's such a grown man and is still running from that, both in terms of him thinking that he's going to hurt them by being in their lives, but also denying the fact that like he is always better for having a support system. Yeah. You, you talking about that made me think of the parallels between Blade and Namor too, and sort of like mm, how ooh. these characters deal with that. some things and, and why they're so prickly to, to some, but then f- keep coming back to groups and, and needing that sense of home or, you know, these families, but they don't, oh, they just can't keep them for whatever reason. I love a character that is incredibly wrong but like incredibly sure of themselves and being wrong. I prefer a broody character that is wrong about not needing a community than when they are written as being okay without a community. Just because I think that it makes for more compelling stories. Uh, It makes for more human stories. You know, we like, there are so many people who have at some point pushed someone away because of the world's most ridiculous reasons, you know? There's like a very fascinating parallel that I just noticed uh, as we were talking, but it's in issue number 60 when the when Dracula decides to invade Avengers Mansion. Yes. There's a twist in this story where he sends all of his cult members to attack the the mansion at the at ground level and then he even uses uh enchanted critters to attack the inside of it to clear it out. So we have Monica Rambo inside, we have Scarlet Witch outside, Doctor Strange attacking, you know, or fighting back as well alongside Wanda. And meanwhile, Dracula in like the most dramatic way, like we see it, we get the reveal that he's been working on this plan before this attack, um, where he is going to dive into the East River and swim to a secret submarine entrance into Avengers Mansion. The thing I found fascinating about that was that, like, we do get to see that scene. We get to see the planning scene where he's talking about, like, okay, he he has the blueprints to the the place. He he knows about this. He's talking to his members, but then he gets foiled. Um, and then at the very end, when we have that final showdown, we don't get the tw- like. There is a twist in that issue as well, but we don't get the plan. Yeah. Like Doctor Strange is very much like we don't know that the twist is about to happen. He talks to his team. He talks to Hannibal King, and then he also talks to Frank Drake and Wong yes. off panel. And we don't get to see what that plan looks like, but he traps Dracula and then is able to complete the Montesi formula, which I thought was fascinating because it does show that showmanship. Like Dracula was the dramatic one. Like he wanted the spectacle. He wanted to, you know, show his his people like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make a big dramatic entrance. And even once he's in, he still like gets foiled and doesn't do the thing he doesn't make a he doesn't beeline to the book to the dark hold because they're trying to get the dark hold this entire time yeah i love stuff like that because i love it is evidence that the showmanship is intentional right both with dracula and and strange that like sure there are times where they can't help it right you love a character that gets themselves in trouble because they have to be dramatic right but like these but like to be Lord Dracula and to be the Sorcerer Supreme, you there's there's a certain amount of of cleverness and cunning that is that is part of being those characters, right? The, this whole conversation got me thinking about 
our Dracula at Marvel. And so dramatic, so uh, so everything, right? Our Dracula is so everything. But the interesting thing about our Dracula is how long this character has endured and has been sort of like we've been threading their stories as we do in the Marvel Universe, as we tell this ongoing tale. You know, we're at what, 50 plus years of like the core Dracula that we know, you know, from the Tomb of Dracula stuff probably appeared before that intermittently. But like this Dracula showing up, doing these things, getting killed, coming back, getting killed, coming back, doing this, doing that, you know, forming nations. I don't and I, I'm I'm happy to be corrected, but I don't know of another media Dracula or I, a media Dracula, as if there's a, like the real world Dracula. <laughs> I don't know of another Dracula that has oh, that yeah. kind of ongoing story and staying power and can, and, and like a number of appearances. You know, we've had Dracula in various movies and, and books and obviously, you know, different and tales. And it's always satisfying to see him step out the shadows. Like, that's also yeah. the thing. Like, I have never seen Dracula reappear and been annoyed. <laughs> Because I'm like, <laughs> what are they doing? You know, like, it's it's something that always makes things interesting, right? And the way that he is personality-wise, power-wise, you know, I am totally accepting. Like, there are some villains where you're like, well, why doesn't so-and-so show up for a while? You know, like, it doesn't make sense, you know? And there's there's reasons, both, you know, plot-wise and just nobody's writing him at the time that that happens. No, I believe that Dracula just ignores literally every main event that's happening for years at a time because he <laughs> does not care. Yeah. It is not about him. And then suddenly he's like, oh, this might be about me. So I guess I'll show up. I want to yes. shift gears again once uh, once again. Um, talk about the release of this original storyline, the um, issues of Doctor Strange. They were released uh, starting in January of 1983. And so that got me thinking, all right, what else came out alongside these? Uh, so I, I will share some of these, the issues. It was uh, Avengers 230, which is this famous cover with um, yellow jacket costume with the rest of the Avengers around it, where Hank Pym's like, all right, I'm not going to be yellow jacket. I'm just going to go off in my world. And, and so it's like a cool down issue with a whole bunch of stuff that happens there. There's a really classic Mike Zek Captain America cover, which always got me as a kid, where he's where Cap is strung up by the Scarecrow, and he's like, "Yeah, you know that cover." As soon as, like, I saw that, and I was like, "Damn, that was that month." Um, that one rules. We've got uh, also this month the there's a uh, Marvel team up. One of the final issues of Marvel team up 128 has one of our rare photo covers where you have. Uh, hum actual people humans dressed up as uh, Captain America and Spider-Man, which is um, I, I've always loved this cover. It's real weird looking, um, stands out intensely. It was uh, taken the photo taken by Elliot R. Brown that came out um, that month. X-Men 168 came out, which is the classic Kitty Pride with her back against the wall in her X-Men uniform with the spotlight on her. Mm -hmm. Chris Claremont, Paul Smith, just beautiful the beautiful. cover i never ever get upset when people reference uh, right how could you i'm like there's oh it's <laughs> always a good reason to reference that cover yeah um, um new mutants is only at issue number three at this point um there's a whole bunch of other things and then that is that month also so the release of obnoxio the clown which is <laughs> so great something <laughs> so weird uh so that actually inspired me to look up 
what I like to do is not same year release, but the year before release for movies Ooh. about books. Ooh. And the, that 1982 for horror gives you Poltergeist, Creep Show, The Thing. Like, it is really just like the influences that were around at times are some of the still, some of the best horror. So with the last couple of minutes that we have, we can talk about this forever, uh, but I want to talk about Bloodline because you have a story in, in Crypt of Shadows. You had a, a short story that released in, in the free comic book comic this year. Now I want to know more about Bloodline's like look and costume and what inspired that. Because you, you do, she is coming off of a legacy character. So you kind of have those like parallels. And I, I'm curious, can you talk to us a little bit about Bloodline and what you have coming for her? The thing that I wanted to do with Brielle is I kind of looked at the different types of teenagers that like we have kind of really present in the Marvel Universe. And I was heavily inspired by kind of branching off of the aesthetic of Blade, but a little less serious. There's these amazing tags on like TikTok and Instagram for like alt scene, alternative black girls and the fashion they do from like hair color to wigs to different styles, be it more goth, you know, Lolita or uh, metal, right? And um, in particular, there was a trend of like the day to night transition, I think, happening when we first started talking about Brielle, you know, that very, you know, kind of like over oversized, you know, like metal t-shirt and jeans, and then like the outfits worn to go out, right? Just this great broad expression of, of kind of like black alt fashion. Because when you're making a legacy character, there's always the, the, you want to appeal to the actual age group and everyone that is reflected in that legacy character, right? You want to bring in new people, but you have to make the decision about how much of that character is going to be reflective of the original character and, and in op opposition to that character, right? Uh, you can have a character that is very insistently the opposite of, you know, you can have a character that is very similar to, but then if you're doing a lot of similar stuff, what makes anyone pick up a book about, say, Brielle as opposed to Blade? And that was really kind of important for us to to nail down. This has been awesome. I'm excited for Bloodline. Uh, definitely excited to read the story in Crypt of Shadows, which drops the 19th uh, of this month. Uh, but in the meantime, Danny, where can people find you? Uh, I am too much uh, on Twitter over at <laughs> WereDogs, W-E-R-E-D-A-W-G-Z, because in spite of my love of Blade uh, and uh, Bloodline, uh, I have a brand to maintain, and that's Werewolves. Um, <laughs> technically over at Instagram as well, but uh, since I haven't been building Gundams as much, uh, I'm not over there uh, quite so much right now. Thank you, Danny. Yes. Thank you guys for having me. Big thank you to Danny Lore for coming back on the show. Um, always a delight to have them with us and talking about some books. I especially love it when I can get into uh, talking about books I've never read before. So super cool. Yeah, this was awesome. Like, I feel like when I was reading it, each issue had another hero that I was like, oh, I didn't think this was going to happen or this person would appear here. And it was a blast because I had never read this either. So and also Dracula. Who doesn't love a Dracula? Dracula. <clears throat> That's it. Let's get out of here. <laughs> this episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos, Jasmine Estrada, and Cara McGurk Allison. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. 
And Brad Barton is Marvel's Polis Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. And one day he's like, hey, do you want to hear about the Brad Barton formula? And I said, no, I'm not a good improv partner, Brad. Take it somewhere else. We don't want any of that snake oil. I'm Ryan. (laughs) I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe.